Alright guys, welcome back to A Bite of D&D, the podcast where we add flavor to your games and campaigns. I am Zach, and sitting across from me is my co-host Micah. And today, we are going to tackle the Aracocra, the bird playable race found in... Uh, it's actually in the Elemental Evil Player's Companion. For those of you who may not be familiar with it, because it's not a printed book, you can find this resource on Wizards of the Coast website. It is a free download. It is the companion to their Princes of the Apocalypse setting. Well, let's just get this on the table right out the gate. So... I, this is obviously a playable race, probably the race that gets, for lack of a better term, cock-blocked from the get-go when you talk about a homebrew setting yeah, especially. you mentioned them uh, being a playable race, and the first thought that popped into my head was unplayable race, yes. uh, since most DMs tend to ban these guys right out the gate. So tell me, can we give an excuse for, or how can we help DMs? Or what reason can we give for DMs to allow these guys into their games? Well, I think we definitely have an argument for why they should be allowed. But I want to rewind real quick uh, just a little bit and go into why they would be adventuring in the first place. Okay. Because these guys are not native to the material plane. They arrived here oftentimes by accident through through portals or just mischance from the elemental plane of air. So there's not a ton of these guys around. And for the most part, they seem to be pretty content staying up in the sky, observing other people, and just living kind of peacefully within their own organizations. So I think from the get-go, not only should you be talking with your DM about why you should be able to play them in the game and how as a DM that you can bring them in in a way that's healthy for your game, but also you should be working with your DM on why they're adventuring in the first place. As As the first pillar of why you should let them in the game. Starting that dialogue with your DM is the first one because it allows him to build it into a story naturally. Uh, yeah. gives you a reason for having an Aarakocra in the party and provides additional potential plot hooks for you down the road uh, for what you want to accomplish because these guys aren't motivated by glory and gold and things like that. They're typically motivated by vengeance or just the necessity of it. Um, taking care of their their tribe, their nest, things like that. So they're not really in it for personal gain. And working with your DM on why they would be adventuring in the first place is a good first step towards helping him integrate it into his game in a healthy way. So when we're looking at integrating these guys into a homebrew setting, I think that a lot of times, and I've been guilty of the I don't want any flying races in my players. So, like you said, a player comes up to me, though, and asks, like, look, I've got this good idea. I think it fits well within your world, within your setting. I really want to play this Arakrokra. To me, it becomes a question of how comfortable are you in the DM role and how willing are you to put in the extra time to think through, especially your encounters, that extra few minutes because... On one hand, you're absolutely right in that if you just plan out your encounters on the regular, there's going to be a lot of monsters that in no way pose any threat to this creature. Something that doesn't have a ranged attack, nor can it fly, has no opportunity to hurt this creature. So you do have to really plan out your adventures more. Having said that, that should not be a reason to block it for anything but a new dungeon master. You know, somebody who who's not going to be comfortable enough building those encounters. But, uh, so I guess we're going to try to get that out of the way first and say, like, 
if you feel comfortable in your role as a DM, I think that you should welcome the challenge maybe with the right story, with the right setting of having these guys. And that's kind of where we're going to focus is assuming that you already have allowed them into your game. I think they actually bring good things to the table yeah. as a DM. The the more I've looked into it, but I have also banned these guys from my table just because I didn't really want to deal with it. And honestly, I wasn't even necessarily scared of them having flying. That was me being lazy and I just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. I think the more I look into it, the more time I've had DMing. I don't know how... I don't really think it would take that much effort to plan around it at this point. So I guess what I'm saying is have a little bit more of an open mind. You have access to every monster and trap in the game. Yeah. And secondly, the the reason this seems to be an issue is because it's looked at in a bubble where you're always outdoors and they always have freedom of movement. Sometimes you guys are going to be going down into the claustrophobic catacombs, the caves, the spaces where you don't have enough room to easily fly around. I mean, these guys are going to have a decent-sized wingspan in order to actually fly, and if they don't have a good space, if their arms are kind of hunched in, even if you've got you know, a 10-foot hallway, how easily could you really fly in that situation? Yeah, probably you, not. you probably can't. So they're not always going to be in a situation where that flight is going to be something that you have to worry about. And when they're on the ground, they're actually a little bit slower because they've got their taloned feet. They hobble a little bit more. Uh, Their walking is a little bit more unnatural for them. And so there are a few drawbacks. The other drawback is while flying is great, if you pepper them with a few arrows and they get knocked unconscious, they're no longer flying. And they're going to take a massive amount of falling damage so there are drawbacks to that ability as well and it's not unheard of and it's not unfair of you to bring in archers to put them in situations where flight isn't always going to be useful and you've got a lot of easy ways to challenge them uh, with that because depending on the class they pick they can't fly while wearing anything more than light armor. Yeah. They're not going to be the hardest thing to pin down out of the party. So you definitely have plenty of opportunities to injure them, throw nets at them, tangle them up so that they can't fly anymore. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do that make it dangerous to be in the air. And it's not unfair of you to do that, and the player should be aware of it. But enemies aren't stupid. They're going to develop tactics for this, and you can utilize those. So I think there's a lot of, yes, a little bit more work goes into it, but I don't think it's as bad as everyone assumes when they first look at it. Because again, I think they view it in a bubble where there's always going to be plenty of open space and they're never going to be on the ground. They're never going to have to be at that level with everyone else. Well, and this goes into, there's a trade-off for that flight ability. Like you've already mentioned, they have a slower walking speed. But as you look at the race as a whole... They also don't get any additional skills or languages or anything else. They know a decent few languages, but they're pretty obscure ones that don't pop up a lot. And the only other thing they get is proficiency with their unarmed attacks, which you're going to use very rarely. They can use their talents to scratch at people, uh, and they do slashing damage instead of bludgeoning damage. Now, that said, they do get two very good ability scores. Dex and Wisdom uh, are both used for a large amount of both skill saves and just ability saves in general, whether it be from spells or traps. So they do have some pretty premium stats that they get. Plus two in dex, plus one in wisdom is what those numbers are. So there's definitely things that they benefit from. But compared to like 
a halfling's lucky ability. Like, there's nothing like that where... Or the free feet from a variant human. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I've seen that halfling feet get... That halfling lucky ability get uh, used multiple times a session to really jack with the flow of things sometimes. So, as far as that goes, like, I think that there's several races that have these abilities built in from the get-go that can just really change the flow of a game and make you... I mean, I don't know. It's just... It's a whole different game when a natural one can't be rolled by one of the party members. So there's definitely other other places where that happens. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, I, that's that's just my, my take on why, as a DM, you should be a little bit more open to them. Because I definitely think there's some trade-offs to them being up in the air. I mean, some potential, potentially very fatal things can happen if... For some reason, they lose the ability to fly well, while they're just up there. Cast a spell that sleeps or whatever. Cast a command spell that makes them drop, like hold person, hold person yep. sleep. Yep. Just nets as far as mundane items go. I mean, there's plenty of things that could disrupt flight that your players need to be smart about that could very easily kill them. I mean, especially at lower levels, if he's flying 30 feet up, 30 feet up, that's 1d6 per per 10 feet or something like that. I mean, 3d6 is very likely to kill you at level one, uh, potentially outright, depending on your class. Maybe even level two, depending on, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely think it's not as broken as it's viewed as. Yeah, and I think there's there's certain forums where they list, like, what grade of a class or grade of a race there are and, like, you know, if, if certain races are put in higher tiers. I think this is a higher tier race, but I don't think that it's so much higher than some of the other races and, and some of their abilities. Um, but it's definitely in the top tier. We're definitely not trying to say that this is on par with everything. But it's right. it's 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 not quite as... I would put it like Lizard Folk is a great one where they have a swim speed and they have a natural armor bonus. Like, holy crap, those things are both also amazing. You know, swim isn't going to be used as much, but you're where getting you some good it, stuff. It's... And that and that's another situation where that flight's not helping them. If you need to go underwater, guess yeah. guess where they don't have that advantage. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I think they get a little bit of an unfair rap. Now, as far as a, a player goes, obviously there's plenty of reasons why you'd want to play these guys, and flight is probably the big <laughs> one for most players. Yeah, I think we could we could easily spend a couple minutes just saying the opposite of everything that we just said, which is... <laughs> right. Player. Use them because they're broken and they can fly around. I mean, Monk is the one you see people talk about a lot. Yeah. Uh, they get both of those primary stats for them. The unarmored movement increases that fly speed even more because it's not walking speed. It's just speed. Yeah. So by, you know, level two, you're flying around at a 60 move speed. Yeah, which uh, if you take uh, mobility or whatever it is as a feat... Where you can't be hit with opportunity attacks when you uh, move. Yeah. You can really be a quick mobile target. That slashing damage they get with their unarmed strikes gives them a little bit more adaptability to the situation with their monk unarmed strikes that then gets upgraded. I mean, there's a lot of cool things they can get. If you look past the the more obvious things that are lent yeah. towards them. I mean, the other reason you'd pick Monk, I guess, is deflect missiles. Yeah. Uh, helps deal with one of the biggest things that are probably going to be thrown at you. Um, gives you a little bit more reliability while you're up in the air. But if you look past the kind of the, the most obvious one, which I think Monk is, they're really good as a support class. I think they could be fun 
as more of a healer. Take them as like your your cleric or, or something like that, where they can zip around the battlefield, get to fallen comrades. A little bit more like mercy style yeah. with Overwatch, where you can get to your teammates, get them up and going again. Use spare the dying and prevent someone from getting dropped out, and you can move around pretty quickly and help your team out. Yeah, and a big part of what we're doing here on the podcast is talking about how to add flavor to your games. And one of the things about the R Croker that is is that it does just that by being a race that is so different in appearance from a lot of the others. You know, like how many variations do you have on a human? I mean, like, and this is this is a little bit shortchanged, and I'll, I'll recognize that, but like, elves are just humans with pointy ears. Dwarves are just humans with big beards. Gnomes are just short humans. Halflings are just sh- short gnome humans. <laughs> uh, Goliaths are just tall humans. Like, appearance-wise, they all look largely the same. And... An Arakrokra is something that looks completely new. And even an orc is just an ugly human, right? So, like, this is maybe just a feathered human, but it... <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe Well, I'm they wrong. do actually have, uh, you know, birds' heads. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess that's part of it is, like, I think that sometimes what D&D is missing in some games that you approach is, like, there's such a diversity of monsters and creatures and locations and all that, and then you come to a party and it's like... They all are human, or they all look that way. And I think it is cool when you can start to introduce it. I like how some of those monstrous races are being introduced, again, with Volos and with uh, some of these supplementary materials that kind of allow your party to have that cool diversity. And that's not needed in every game, but I think that there is some, you know, there's players that have been playing for 30 years, and Arakrokra is just now really an available race so that, that, that could be really exciting uh, for a lot of people. Well, and speaking to flavor on these guys, their native language is that of a bird we would find here. It's a series of whistles and clicks and trills and things like that. So you can they can speak common and they can do it well. Some of those mannerisms carry over. But when you introduce yourself, you could be like, Hi, I am... And that's your name. But... You need something that they can call you, so they do have some nicknames uh, offered in the supplements and stuff. But it's kind of fun to be able to introduce yourself as your true name being... Yeah. So... It's... The other thing is, like, as I'm sitting here, they do come from a different plane of existence. And so I think it could be fun as a player character to have a creature that maybe doesn't think along the same lines as people who live on the material plane and who maybe has different ways of seeing the world, different motivations. And that could be a fun thing for you to discover while you're at the table. So that's actually one thing they mention in the Elemental Evil Companion is that these guys don't understand the concept of ownership. Hmm. If they're hunting for food and they see, you know, pigs or cattle or something on somebody's farm, they'll swoop down and they'll, they'll take what they need. The idea of that being the farmer's property is not something that makes any sense to them. And similarly to that, when they see any interesting baubles or jewelry and things, much like birds and other creatures do in the wild, they will snatch those up and take them home to decorate their their homes, their houses, their nests with mm-hmm. um, as baubles. So they are definitely a little bit out of place and alien when it comes to the intricacies of day-to-day life yeah and that 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 might be that may take them a little bit further into the realm of reasonable when a player has to kind of approach them with this idea of like okay so we're going into a city all right so 
every time I go into a city, I don't see it as a city. How do I see it? Like, how do I see a market? Just as a, a bunch of stalls with stuff that I could scoop and up. the like, party has to, like, actively train them on, no, that's, you have to use money yeah. to buy these things. You can't just take what you want and get maybe get into trouble with the guards in town or Merchant's Guild or things like that. If you can look past the mechanical side of things, right? Yeah. If you can look past that, because they definitely have some strengths, it, you're, you're definitely able to work around them. But if you can look past that, And look at them from how can they improve our role play? How can they improve the story of the game? I think they provide a lot of interesting things that the standard races that we have from the player's handbook don't really offer. Because like you said, even though they're different, they're largely the same. And so something like this really kind of mixes things up and I think a little bit more interesting way. Yep. So... I think that's where we're going to leave this one, guys. Do you allow them in your games? How do you feel about them? Have you used them in your own? Let us know, and we'll see you next time. Later. Later.